Hello, everybody, and welcome to Prime Time with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney. Thank you so much again for tuning in. We're happy to have you all with us, although as we record this podcast, it's under not-so-happy circumstances. Uh, as you know, uh, this past weekend, one of the most hated, despised, loathed personalities in the history of wrestling passed away. And if uh, you're a heel in that world, that is the ultimate compliment. And that is certainly the case when you're talking about Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, after a, a very tough 15-year battle with cancer, Bobby could fight no longer. And the world of wrestling is mourning his loss this week. Now, both myself and, and Hacksaw uh, had the great honor and pleasure of, of getting the chance to work with Bobby and be around him. And uh, Jim, I don't know how or when you found out, but I'm sure even though we all knew how ill Bobby was, I'm sure the like the rest of us, uh, the news was hard for you to take as well. Well, hello, Sean. Uh, like you said, uh, hard to talk at the circumstances like this as Bobby was well-beloved uh, by a lot of the guys backstage. I mean, especially even more so after all his trials and tribulations with his health problems. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, Bobby, we, all the boys have seen him so often at the conventions and the Comic-Cons and stuff that, you know, we thought everything was okay. He still may go on for quite a while, but so it was still kind of a shock to hear he went down. And of course, uh, I got it over the internet, internet, like most people do nowadays. Yeah. And it is, uh, I know that, you know, uh, when he first was diagnosed back in 2002, uh, he had a, a really difficult time. You know, he said that, you know, for two years, he basically sat in a room naked, uh, after go undergoing chemotherapy, uh, watching Judge Judy, which of course is his <laughs> his sense of humor, but I think it's awesome. And I don't know how long it took him before he decided to you know, get out and do some things. But uh, he mentioned, and I know his wife Cindy had mentioned many times that how much that was medicine for him to be able to go out to these shows and see the fans and a lot of the the wrestlers that he worked with. Uh, I don't know how many conversations you had with him, but did, is that what you, the feeling you got when you saw him? Yeah, well, I didn't really know Bobby until I came up to uh, WWF, and so I didn't really know what to expect. So it was kind of culture shock when you first met Bobby, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think you always expect the unexpected with Bobby. Yeah. Well, this edition of PTH&M is, is a tribute to Bobby Heenan, uh, a man I believe had as much to do with launching the WWF into the stratosphere and mainstream entertainment. Uh, Jim, I, I believe as much as Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage and Andre and uh, you know maybe a few other uh, of those superstars that, that stepped into the ring. Do you believe that he really was, uh, as I, I really do believe that, that he was uh, as much a force that uh, really catapulted the WWF. Well, I, I think he was a, obviously a very strong character, and uh, but I don't know if I put him on the level of Hogan and Andre up there, you know. But definitely in the next group down, uh, Jake and Teddy, and in that group, I mean, he was the uh, and the managers he took. You know, I don't because there's a bit of a lot of great managers. Uh, uh, Jimmy, the mouth of the South heart. I mean, yeah. so, but, uh, yeah, Bobby obviously was one of the, uh, one of the best, everybody, that's something everyone would have an opinion. Who's the best ever manager, but he definitely had a huge impact in the WWF. Uh, and also he, he did a lot of charity work. That's where I, I spent most of my time with Bobby, obviously, because we ran in different circles back then, 
Well, we would do a lot of charity work back then for the WWF, and Bobby was with me. Uh, we did the Imus uh, baseball softball game, uh, right. stuff like uh, Susan St. James uh, Special Olympics and stuff like that. And Bobby was very active in a whole lot of charities. Yeah, he definitely was. Uh, when I when I talk about what I believe is his contribution to making the WWF what it be what it uh, became is that I, I believe that what he did for some of the other superstars at that time uh, maybe wasn't interpreted at the time or, or people really understood what he did to promote uh, some of these guys that were great performers in the ring, but perhaps didn't have that uh, same ability, that same power in front of a camera or having somebody at ringside or doing those promos that he did uh, someone like, you know, what he did with, with Andre. And of course, Andre was a huge performer, but, uh, you know, <laughs> what we right. saw happen at WrestleMania three, I think one of the greatest encounters ever in wrestling, uh, a lot of that had to do with what Bobby did to raise the heat on that right. encounter. Well, not only with the top talent, obviously like Andre, the giant, but I mean, with any wrestling talent, Bobby would elevate them. If he, if you were being managed by Bobby Heenan, that elevated you up to that top level of guys, you know, Mr. Fuji, nothing bad about Mr. Fuji, but that right. was a different level. Yeah. If Bobby was your manager, boom, you were on the fast track. Yeah, your, absolutely. Your, uh, uh, back in the third uh, episode of this podcast, Jim, uh, we covered a lot of Bobby's early life with, uh, uh, with the Bobby and Gorilla podcast, which is uh, uh, one of my favorites. And I'm not going to go back into all the details because I really went into his life. But I, I do want to mention that from an early age, uh, Raymond Lewis Heenan, uh, his real name, uh, may not have known what he was going to do, but he did know no matter what, he wanted to be a part uh, of the wrestling business. And he uh, you know, started out wanting to be in the ring. He was trained to be a wrestler. Uh, had some matches uh, in, in the early days there, but I don't think it was long before he re- he decided he realized uh, and decided what his gift was, and that was uh, being a manager. What uh, and and after he realized what he could do to work a crowd, uh, get people fired up, and uh, and what he could do to promote whoever he was standing next to, and. Uh, and a, and a he, perfect gimmick too. I mean, the brain, <laughs> he was yeah. so quick witted, so sharp. And he was the brain. I mean, Bobby was the brain and, and you know, the, the picture with his finger up to his head. I mean, <laughs> it, like and his interviews were great. I mean, obviously if, if you hang around and have that big of an influence on a company like the WWF, uh, that's amazing. As you know, I mean, the, the first Monday night Raw. you know, better than anybody, brother. <laughs> oh yeah. And that's uh, one of my uh, favorite evenings I ever spent in the WWF. Uh, but Bobby started with the WWA, the World Wrestling Association, which was based in Indianapolis way back in 1967, Jim. And, and he spent uh, you know a number of years there until 1974. And that's where he really honed his craft uh, as a manager. Uh, and he actually managed uh, Randy Savage's father down there. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, uh, Angelo Papo. But you see the early days, and that's where he, you know, began to uh, put his his uh, demeanor and, as you mentioned, the brain. But the brain would come later. But uh, when he arrived in the uh, American Wrestling Association, which we all know as the AWA, 
Uh, he would spend a decade in 1974 when he arrived there and all the way until 1984. Uh, that, I, you know, that his abilities as a wrestling manager really became legendary uh, that was he spent that time there. Do you remember, can you give me there. your recollections? And I know that, uh, you know, you knew all about those territories, but what did you hear about Bobby Heenan and what did you see? Well, you know, actually, the way the territories were so segregated back then, I never really had much of an overlap with Ganya's territory up there. Supposedly, that was a territory to work for because you flew to all the shows and only worked like, you know, four times a week. Where down in Mid-South, we were driving 3,000 miles a week and worked nine times a week. So I know that was supposedly the, the, the premier territory to be in. Uh, that's probably why I was never up there. <laughs> but do you, do you remember hearing about this guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bobby, especially before I got up to, to, to WWF. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you obviously heard about who, who Bobby was. Right. And he you was. Know, uh, it's a, a small group of guys. I mean, everybody knows everybody and, and world, uh, word passes quickly. You know, that's the old saying, telephone, telegraph and tell a wrestler, you know, it word spreads quickly. Jim, at that point in time, were managers that big a part of what went on in the oh, show? Yeah. I think yeah. maybe even more so then than now. I mean, you know, you got uh, uh, the, uh, the guy that, what's his name? The guy, the manager now for the Brock Lesnar. Oh, Heyman. Uh, Heyman, yeah. yeah. I was going to Hellman. I couldn't, Heyman. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, he's pretty much the only uh, ma really manager that I can think of offhand. We're back in the day. I mean, Skandar Akbar, what a, what a f uh, devious manager he was, you know, and, uh, all the territories had, had, had good managers, but Bobby, you know, and, and what did, McMahon did is he went around, not only did he buy up and bring up all the top talent to WWF wrestling talent, he also brought up all the top managers and, and that's what, and Bobby, he took it to fish like water, you know, going into the big city was and pretty intimidating. I mean, even being around the business and doing big shows, you do the WWF and you're doing Madison Square Garden and the Meadowlands and Boston Garden and all these huge arenas. It, it's a little intimidating, but uh, you'd never know it with Bobby. He, I think he just uh, excelled at it, at that yeah, atmosphere. And, yeah, and uh, while he was in the AWA working there, uh, he also teamed up for, with Nick Bockwinkle no. and Ray Stevens. I only knew Nick Bockwinkle as an agent and working you know, uh, with the – the front office, uh, at, with the WWF, but, uh, he was, uh, quite a renowned, uh, personality in the world of wrestling back then, along with, uh, Ray Stevens. Yeah. A and, lot of students of the business, uh, you know, always thought that he, he never got his dues, that he was, uh, better than a lot of folks gave him credit for wow. Bockwinkle, you know, I mean, uh, he, you know, he kind of was right there and then make the transition from the territories to the, the big time as a talent. But, you know, back in the day, he was a world champion. He was a, a great world champion. Yeah, and I know that uh, the three of them, as a, you know, as a trio, owned that territory. You can uh, only imagine were, the backstage know, stories with those guys. Oh, I'd be no kidding. <laughs> and make us look tame. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. But, uh, but on, the, on the stage, these guys were just incredible as far as, uh, you know, really being at the top there. And I think that, uh, you know... Uh, that is where, you know, Bobby really uh, reached that point to where he was among the best. And uh, he learned really how to work these crowds. And he would do these unbelievable promos where he would say, you know, and I don't want to see any of those posters calling me a weasel. And, of course, the next night they would, you know, be posters all over the place that 
that he had printed up and, right. and sold, you know, right. uh, that he really became uh, a master at this. And of course, people started to take notice. Uh, that is where he, uh, you know, first he was uh, Bobby the Brilliant Heenan and then went and then the brain uh, came and stuck. But another nickname that would follow him throughout his career, the Weasel, uh, also is that where he was first uh, coined with that. And, uh, you know, of all the matches he was involved in, if you talk about the AWA and Bobby Heenan, the Weasel match, that took place. Do you remember hearing about that at the time? That, that, that did that. Oh. I know they had other gimmick <laughs> matches, but is that one like that was really believed to be a classic? How'd it go? Let me know. <laughs> I don't know how the weasel match work. Where they, where the, uh, it was against uh, Greg Gagne and the, uh, the loser was going to have to put on a weasel. Oh, the weasel suit. suit. Okay. Yes. Get remember that. And they reenacted. Yeah. I thought they had something Warrior. to do with weasels up there in the North, you know, the great white <laughs> North up there. No telling we had coal miner glove match. That weasel match might mean something up there, you know, oh, no. Minnesota yeah. weasel match. Uh Oh, <laughs> get your rabies shot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there is video. You can see it. It's out there uh, of this matchup. And, it was the classic timing of Bobby, the whole, the way it, it worked in the ring. And that was another great point about him. One, one great uh, ability that he had with his training in the ring. And I don't know how many other managers back in the day, Jim, would become involved in matches the way that he did. A lot of people to this day talk about what great bumps Bobby could take, uh, did you see, was there a lot of that going on then? And yeah, how was Bobby and not separated? Only did Bobby, Bobby take great bumps because a lot of guys can take a, a backdrop or something, but he knew when to take it. And not only knew when to take it, but he knew how to sell it, you know, and, yeah. and that's, and that's an art form. You can't oversell. You can't undersell. You just want to sell, you know, just, just right. And Bobby would set it up and, you know, there'd be a couple of false finishes like fin uh, angle spots where he's almost going to take a bump, but he doesn't take a bump. But yeah. when he does, boom, when he does take that bump, it means something, and he'd sell it like a son of a gun. Yeah, and if you ever really want to see Bobby the Brain Heenan sell in the early days, you should take a look at this match. It's the, you know, the, the outcome is whoever loses is going to put this weasel suit on, and, of course, uh, the brain gets beaten, and uh, – He's got to put the suit on. He's refusing. And then he ends up getting put into a sleeper and, and knocked out and they put the, the suit on him. And then as uh, you know, they're slapping him around to wake him up. And when he wakes up, he does the slow reveal where he, you know, like he's tired or whatever. He looks and all of a sudden he sees his, his paw and then he sees the other one. And then, then it's just the, uh, the whole uh, realization, the crowd, he ripped the roof off the place and you can oh, just yeah. hear them. <laughs> and it really was classic Heenan. And we got to see a lot of it after he arrived in the WWF. But uh, you see well, the early days me. of that development is just, it's just um, amazing to, to see. Yeah. They did a weasel angle in WWF too, though. Yeah. Later on against the warrior. That's a, that was a, they I, know somebody, I know somebody stuffed him in the weasel suit. Yeah. Well, and uh, you know, that you got the hell of the chant. You can weasel. Back, right? Weasel, weasel. I mean, it was a nice chant to have. You know, you got to have the right word to work. And weasel. <laughs> well, the whole and and that's the thing when you're when you're a heel, right, Jim? Uh, oh yeah, shoot. The, yeah. the more negative it is, the more uh, demeaning it is, the more humiliating it is. 
That means you're over. Oh, I tell you, that's, you know, I tell everybody should be a a heel wrestler at one point in their life. You get used to people saying the worst things in the world to you, you know, so like water off a duck's back though. I mean, even, even now you still get a lot of stuff on Twitter and Facebook that's negative and, you know, but that's, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, Bobby put in his time with the AWA a full decade. And, uh, in 1984, uh, Vince McMahon came calling. But uh, one thing that, that really stands out for people, uh, especially in a business like this, Jim, uh, they recount how uh, Bobby first fulfilled his contract with the Ganyas before he left. And uh, as I say, that's kind of unusual when someone moves on to the next level, isn't it? No, not so much. I, I did mine with uh, uh, Bill Watts down there in WWE because, you know, Vince told me to. I mean, he encouraged me to to honor my contract on the way out, which I would have anyway. My pop would have kicked my butt if I didn't. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, he, he had, uh, Vince had encouraged me, and I'm sure he had encouraged anybody. You know, a lot of times you hear these stories, these guys are, oh, yeah, Vince called me up, told me to come up, fly me up. Come on, brother. I'm sure he called up a lot of guys, but, uh, you know, everybody knew that was the place to be. And if you yeah. got the call, and if you were lucky enough to get the call or got accepted to go up there, then, uh, yeah, you, you, you want to do what Vince encourages you to do, and that would be uh, work your way out on the, the territory. And you do jobs, obviously, on the way out. You do jobs for everybody. Yeah, but also in this uh, in this business, uh, doing it right, I don't know, uh, you know, like you said, I don't know how many, maybe there were many that didn't, but... Uh, in a business like this, you never know when you might be back, right? <laughs> yeah, you don't want to burn that bridge, that's for sure. You know, yeah. never say never. I mean, how many times did they say, never, this will never happen, they'll never be back. Boom, they're back, you know. Yeah. Business is business. <laughs> yeah, well, he uh, left on good terms with the AWA. Yeah. This was in, in 1984. And, you know, Jimmy came in, he was uh, going to manage Jesse Ventura, uh, but the, the body uh, had blood clots, uh, apparently. That's as the story goes. And he, he ended up managing Big John Stud. That was and much from there, it was show. really off to the, the races for Bobby yeah. Heenan, uh, managing uh, several wrestlers, as we would see uh, over the next decade uh, within the Heenan family. Yeah, him um, and Jesse would not have been a, a good mix at all. That I don't think that would have worked. Where I think with Big John, that was a, a perfect mix. Yeah, and I believe they they'd worked together before, so it wasn't as though uh, you know he was starting with someone he hadn't worked with. But I'm sure that wouldn't have made any difference to Bobby. He could work with anybody if they. Right. Yeah. What do you mean, Big John or, or Jesse? With uh, Big John Stud. Yeah. 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 Uh, but his first really big match uh, it was WrestleMania two, and when he uh, managed King Kong Bundy and these you know the the challenges that he would be involved in with with Hulk Hogan uh, for the title. But um, I really believe it was, you know, 1986 is when he really showed his star power in the WWF. And, um, you know, before we really get into talking about uh, all the things that went on while uh, Bobby was in the WWF, I want to uh, uh, give a shout out here to David Porty, uh, Jim. He's uh, uh, one of our listeners, but uh, he's, he's pretty much become the PTH&M wrestling historian. And I really want to thank him for his great help in researching this material for us for this this program. Um, We're in trouble, and most, most of my <laughs> BS I'm not sure about, brother. <laughs> uh, no, but we really, we've got some great listeners, and, and David is, is certain among them, and I, I really want to thank him for his help. Well, thank you, uh, Dave. So as we get into this, where we really saw how much a 
a, a powerful force that Bobby Heenan became. How what a big uh, uh, personality he would become here. Um, in 1986, remember the Hulk Hogan had these feuds with with Paul Orndorff, and uh, you know they they'd worked previously. Um, but when uh, Orndorff finally turned on Hulk, you know the second time around, it like it really took off during that period of time, and. The problem was, is that Orndorff, who was, you know, always looked so great, you know, he always had that great body. Well, apparently he had, a, you know, had a dead shoulder. He had uh, big nerve problems and he was, it was really difficult for him to perform. Um, so they decided to pair him with, with Bobby and uh, Bobby took it from there. And um, it, it, you know, that, that was like a tremendous run. I mean, they, they, uh, I know that, uh, Dave Meltzer reported in his newsletter back then that Orndorff was pulling in uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $20,000 a week, Jim, uh, during that period of time with these matchups. And, uh, you know, there were sellouts everywhere. But do you remember the the uh, the big event that took place in 1986? And um, it was at the Exhibition Stadium in Toronto, Ontario. And it was pretty much a glorified house show, Jim. And they drew over 64,000 fans to this, to see this match that they ended up making a title match. But I think at that point in time, that's when Vince and the other powers that be saw the magnitude of what they had in, in, uh, with Hulk, not just Hulk, but also with Bobby Heenan and these other superstars. Yeah, of course, Canada's huge wrestling fans up there anyway, in a show like that, I bet they did turn out for. But, uh, yeah, Orndorff I didn't know too well neither, uh, or Bobby, but they made a good a, a good team up, and they complemented each other well. Yeah. and uh, But I think that we really saw that. I, I think that that is one of the greatest examples of what Bobby could do for a talent. And as we saw that, I mean, seven months later, they had WrestleMania three at the Pontiac Silverdome, where we know what happened there. You were there at that event. And yeah. <laughs> 93,000 93, people. Oh, they, they, they beat the record in Texas a couple of years ago. Uh, the old timers yeah. where we were, we weren't really pulling for them, you know, <laughs> let's have a recount. What the hell? <laughs> but but Jim, uh, yeah, can you take us back? Can you take us back to that period of time? And I know that was, uh, pretty much along your arrival there in the WWF, but uh, what was happening at that point in time and uh, just taking it all in on that, uh, as that wave just kept cresting. Yeah. Well, of course it, it was unbelievable to me because I just came up there, you know, I was, I was relatively right. new to the WWF and just to be part of it because, you know, down in the, the territories, obviously the guys, Ganya, uh, Von Eric, uh, Bill Watts, they didn't want any of their talent to leave. So they were always bad mouthing. you know, we were hearing all the negative stuff. Oh, those guys, they won't WrestleMania one. That's it. They popped their wad. They won't be able to follow it. Uh, two of their ratings are down, you know, uh, they ain't going to be able to do nothing after two. And so, uh, when I finally made the move up there and, and, you know, just being around that type of huge organization, uh, it, it was humbling. And then, of course, to fly into Detroit to go up to the Pontiac Silverdome for WrestleMania and just the whole excitement. That was new, you know, to the States where, I mean, there's like a Super Bowl coming into the town where they have the banners hanging on the street lights, and, you know, the whole local community is fired up. There's just stuff in the airport you're about to arrive in. There's a whole buzz in the community about 
uh, WrestleMania, even WrestleMania three, way back then, they were excited about that. Now it's all off the hook, of course. But right. uh, it was, you know, to, to be in a uh, a bus with a police motorcycle escort cutting off the whole interstate for the WWF to go down the interstate. You're like, wow, <laughs> this is the big time, man. Yeah, and you talk about when you when you walked out into that crowd and uh, just how it, you know, oh, yeah. blew your face off. Uh, yeah. like, I don't know well, other it, terms, but. Yeah, well, you know, uh, that nine, because I, I came down, it was the kill, killer bees working with Nikolai and the Sheik. And, of course, I come charging down with my two-by-four with a little American flag on the two-by-four. And, of course, I mean, that's the perfect opportunity. Folks come, you know, people want to cheer USA. And, of course, with the Sheik and Nikolai, the Russians still had heat back then. Of course, and then there were baby faces. Now they're heels again. But anyway, you know, we come, I come charging. Oh, the whole place. Oh, it erupted. I mean, Popped, you know, uh, and everybody chanting, USA, USA. And that's, I say, is the thrill of a lifetime. I, I clear the ring. Boom. I get Nikolai. Boom. I get the Sheik. I chase the referee out of the ring. Boom. I stomp around. End up in the middle of the ring with a two by four and a flag of the United States of America up in the air chanting, USA, USA, in front of 93,000 people. Are you kidding? <laughs> I'm fired up now, brother. <laughs> yeah, and it, it it really I that had to be that 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 had to be uh, at least at that point. Uh, talk about reality check that wow, this is really happening with oh, the WWF. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you kind of knew it was it was happening, but you didn't know what level it was going to. I mean, ninety three. Think of that, ninety three thousand people. You know, from doing studio wrestling. You know, with uh, sixty people in the TV studio. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, what a transition! And so quickly, just in a matter of years, boom! It went from high school gyms and National Guard armories to ninety three thousand people. I mean, what what an unbelievable quick evolution of a business. Yeah, and uh, that event certainly uh, was helped along by the main event, uh, Hulk Hogan taking on Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant. And, of course, uh, Bobby Heenan, his manager, who certainly did a lot to help build that uh, feud up, especially when we've been so used to seeing Andre uh, as this, you know, a baby face. And now going against Hulk Hogan. Uh, at the, uh, at the was, heights of Hulkamania. It, yeah. And at the, uh, the height, did yeah. you? Did you watch? Did, did you watch from backstage, or did you oh, sneak yeah, around you the curtain? Because nobody knew if Andre was going to go up or not. Yeah. But, uh, but I got a like, little deal before I go into that, though, Sean. You know, I came back to the dressing room, and all the guys are like, "Caxaw, you know, how, how's the crowd out there? How's the crowd?" Of course, my eyes were, you know, were so bad. I said, I don't know, but the first three rows were full. <laughs> it <laughs> was loud as hell out there, but I, you know, yeah. I could just tell the first three. But no, we all, we, uh, I put my specs on and sat back there, and I definitely watched uh, Andre and Hogan because that was the big deal. No, but, you know, they were like, uh, you know, at the meeting, at, the, at least that's the scuttle, but uh, it was Vince, Andre, and Hulkster right before they go out. And they're like, you're going to go up, okay, right, brother? You're going to go up. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Yeah. So nobody knew if he was going to go up for the slam or not. Because, of course, not only for you know, career wise and image wise of being Andre the Giant, also Andre was really hurting back then, too. Yeah. I know it took uh, some convincing just to get him to be involved in the match, yet alone take the uh, slam, allow Hulk to body slam him. Yeah. He was really, really hurting. If you watch him, he's hanging on to Bobby pretty much from that, from that point on. 
when he would go to the ring, he'd have his hand on Bobby and use Bobby like a walking cane. I mean, the guy really worked through a lot of pain. A lot of people don't realize that Andre was, especially there towards the end, he was in really a lot of pain. You know, I potatoed him one time with a two-by-four, and I I really felt bad about that, man. Oh, man. Did you get a receipt on that? Oh, thank God. Are you kidding? I'm talking to you, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe one thing that helped things along, because you uh, did mention how far it was from the ring to backstage, is that they had these lifts. Right. That took them out, uh, gave you a ride out to the ring. Yeah. They they were cool little deals. They had, they were made like little wrestling rings. Yeah. And, uh, I think that, you know, it was a tremendous match. I actually went and watched it again, uh, this past, uh, uh, weekend and really, uh, yeah, it's a big man match. You're not going to have, you know, a Shawn Michaels type match out there with Andre and, and Hulkster, but it was a big man match and it was a believable match. And when yeah. Hogan oh, got him up, when Hulkster got him up, man, I mean, the boys is backstage pop. So that's the deal. If you can get the boys backstage to pop, you're doing something. Yeah. And he really did get him up. And, uh, Hogan, in fact, you know, he Hogan's went down. a big guy. A lot of people don't yeah. realize, especially back then, he was probably 320 himself. You know, he was a, yeah. those 28 inch pythons. That wasn't a promo gig. He had some big guns on him. Yeah. But as you mentioned, you know, that, uh, you need a little help sometimes with those. And, and Andre did his part for that. Andre, and, uh, yeah. If you watch it, you, uh, yeah, any of the pros out there, any of the students yeah. of the business, you watch Andre, man. He has his uh, left hand on, on Hulkster's leg, uh, giving the boost. Yeah. But as you mentioned, people weren't there to see these uh, unbelievable ring moves. It was it was the enormity of what uh, we were seeing. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the history we're saying is, as uh, well, to uh, this Willemite day, soon called it. Yeah. Yeah, the irresistible right. force meeting the immovable object. object. It really what, what was a great line, what a great yeah. line, you know, and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Was that a train coming? <laughs> yeah. But uh, people still talk about three. I mean, you know, Texas may have been bigger, but uh, WrestleMania three was kind of the, the benchmark of uh, WrestleManias. Yeah. And I, and I can't imagine what it sounded like when uh, he did slam, uh, Andre in at that arena and then pin him. Yeah. Well, there's uh, there's a guy just been an eruption. Yeah. And, and you were talking earlier about Bobby doing the job on the way out. There's the pinnacle of business. Andre, the giant doing the job on the way out. Yeah. Yeah. He did the favor yeah. for Hogan. He did a fa- He did the favor for me. I told the story about him elevating me. I mean, he could help people if he liked you, you know, Bam Bammer, he didn't like Bammer very much at all. Big John Study didn't like, but if he liked you, he he could be influential in your career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as, as, Bobby, as he was with Bobby, yeah, they really helped think, each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as as Bobby must look back at all that he accomplished uh, during his career, that had to be one of the shining moments for him. Yeah. And I, I would think the crowning moment, uh, Andre yeah. the giant. I mean, no matter what, when you're in there with Andre, the giant, uh, you know, it's, it's well, I think you the see giant, how much... watch Prince's bride. It's the brute squad. <laughs> you are the brute squad. You are the brute squad. He <laughs> <laughs> was the brute squad. But, uh, I think that you could see just how much heat Bobby Heenan generated by how much they were pelted by all kinds of objects oh. as they right out to the ring. And as they left, yeah. uh, you ever have a chance to look at that video, Jim, you, you pay attention to that. You see, I don't know what they were throwing. Uh, fortunately, most of it looked like 
uh, wax cups and that kind of thing. But I imagine oh, small yeah. change and a few I'm other sure things. There, there may down. have been some bodily fluids and some of them wax cups, maybe oh. just guessing, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because back then they had heat. That wasn't sports entertainment. You hated Bobby, the brain, he, and that Andre, the giant, you hated him. And, uh, and, uh, it was dangerous sometimes. Yeah, but what an event that turned out to be. That is certainly uh, one of the marked events yeah, that in the history of the WWF that really part of it, man. Yeah, made it clear that uh, the WWF is going to be around for a long time. And uh, I find it interesting that, um, you know, this was back in 87 and Dave Meltzer, you know, the, the dirt sheets that the, they had out there or have out there um, back then he wrote. Um, he, he talking about this, uh, this event that, um, uh, he says more importantly, this show established WrestleMania as an annual tradition, a la a Super Bowl or something that will do big business, even with a weak lineup. I'm sure there's no question at all. There will be a WrestleMania four next March. <laughs> How many are we into now? She said, Pretty good insight with 93,000 people. Hmm, yeah. Let me think. Yeah, I think they might do this again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty good insight. <laughs> well, I, you know, and so there, you know, we could go on and on about some of the the, the great moments in the in the WWF. I, I think of like these pinnacle moments that had to really stand out for Bobby. Uh, you know, the other one I think to me would be because he was always remember uh, Grill was merciless about he never managed a you know a, a title holder, right? And uh, he got his chance at WrestleMania five when Rick Rude uh, defeated the Ultimate Warrior for the Intercontinental Championship, and of course, the only way it happens is Bobby gets involved and holds the Warrior's leg down, so Rude got the pin, but they still got the belt. Imagine. <laughs> That simple of a finish in a WrestleMania nowadays. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> they held his foot. Are you kidding? That's the finish. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's how pure the business was back then. Now it's uh, four DDTs, uh, one guillotine, and a half a pint uh, of shoulder roll. <laughs> Whatever the hell that is. The people they ask on, what's your favorite move? That kick and punch, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Watch out for the board. Oh, yeah. he's a nice girl. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> get that train coming through here, Brian. You know, uh, he's bailing out on us. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> I actually got a tweet. Somebody said, stop doing the train whistle. Every time I hear it, it scares the crap out of me when I'm driving. <laughs> so stay on track, Cody. want to put that in there. We don't want anybody going off the road, Jim. Oh, I kind of like the train whistle. But I really wanted to get into also, I mean, there's just so many things that Bobby did uh, with the WWF besides, you know, the what he did as a manager. Uh, then he, when he moved into commentary, which was about this time, you know, in 86, he started uh, doing uh, commentary. Um, but, uh, you know, and he was teamed with a lot of different announcers uh, over the next nine years. But, you know, as, as we did a whole podcast on it, there's nobody that he did it better with than with Gorilla. Um, that really was a, a magic combination, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, you're that kid. They just, you know, Abbott, Costello, uh, Starsky, and Hutch. I mean, they just really complement each other so well. They played off each other. Neither tried to overshine the other. They gave. They said he. Uh, Bobby, of course, was set himself up all the time. That's a great deal. He'd throw a softball out there, and Gorilla would knock it out of the park. You know, and Bobby'd send another one, and boom, Gorilla crush it again. But Bobby was, and and Bobby, 
Bobby would look shocked when Gorilla nailed it. Uh, but that was his magic. I mean, uh, he could set himself up and, and, and be the object of the uh, ridicule. Yeah, and as I mentioned, he was paired with different people. He, uh, you know, did commentary with Vince, and uh, and you well, know, you, well, you look back and we did a, we did I, a you know, we've talked show. about this how well I thought Vince and Jesse worked together, but I didn't think Gorilla and Jesse worked well together. And it, it I don't think the two of them really had any idea uh, because they weren't really close at that point before they started working together, and I, I don't think they really knew what kind of chemistry was going to develop and how tremendous it would become. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, you spend that much time with somebody, you know, you, if you, if you don't get along, it's, it's really going to be a struggle. Kind of like uh, me and Piper at, uh, 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 legend house. It, uh, it, if you spend that time together and, and grill and Bobby, as you know, better than anybody, Sean, they became very good friends. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I don't uh, think Jesse really became good friends with anybody, you know. <laughs> Jesse, you know, he wouldn't sell, set himself up. He would try to be, you know, come back on Gorilla, where, you know, Bobby would set himself up and take, oh, oh take him up. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry, guys. JYD dropping by there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God bless him, right? Yeah, but, dog. Uh, you know, you're talking on the road, so well, I'm just going <laughs> to take a minute, guys. Sorry, they missed Dad. They missed Dad. Yeah. Well, wait, uh, but cool. uh, the early days, when when he started doing commentary, they uh, the critics were brutal. Uh, he got a lot of heat from uh, a lot of different uh, outfits out there and saying that he didn't he couldn't carry Jesse's water and I mean all these other things. And here we would become uh, one of the best in in history uh, in the history of wrestling uh, for what he did. And, and we and you can talk we talk about the the pairing and that with Gorilla and everything. But on his own. Uh, as a color commentator and what he would do and weave these matches and then throw in all this, uh, you know, comedy in with it as well. And then still be putting these people over with his classic, you know, how do you put the heel over, you know, or how do you, how do you, you know, how do you uh, put the the face over you? Do you yeah. keep criticizing them? And he just had that. He was a master at it. Right. And I, I don't think Bobby as, as the majority of us pay any attention to the critics that are out there or whatever, yep. you know, I mean, you can't pay attention to what other people say that are critical of the business that are critical of you. You just got to do your own deal, you know, and just go out yep. there. And of course, you know, uh, you know, Bobby would, but also Sean, you know, we did that. I think, it was, I don't know what the uh, show was, but it was called, it was Vince, Bobby and Kurt. And a couple of them was me and Sarge and a couple was me and uh, hillbilly. We would do that TV show. We sit at a panel with Vince at the head of it, and yeah, uh, that's that was that's one of the got. later versions of prime time. Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. Want to get that uh, prime the time in there? Oh, we yeah. worked it in there, Sean. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a, a, a prime time. But Bobby, we, we was back then. That's when I was. You know, I, I told the story of when I was the king of wrestling. I had the cape, the crown, the flag, the board, yeah. the thumb, the tongue, the hole, and the crossed eyes. And we're there, and Bobby's like, you know, Vince Duggan needs an eagle. We're sitting at the table. I'm like, Bobby, <laughs> shut up. Yeah, he needs an eagle. I'm like, you know, Vince, you should get Duggan an eagle. It'd be good. And then, it's, you know, during you the need night, something else to travel with Jake with, with the snake <laughs> right. in the back seat. Yeah. Uh, uh, SPCA would be all over us, right? But. But anyway, then Bobby get up and go to the bathroom. Of course, we're all mic'd, and he'd leave his mic on all the time. You know, and he he'd pee longer than a racehorse. He'd be there, and he'd work it like you know, blazing saddles. It'd stop. It'd go. <laughs> it's yeah. spurt. He's it's probably yeah, he's standing by the faucet going through the building. And, you know, you're dying. It was Bobby's humor. Yeah, he never stopped. It was uh, all the time. Yeah. 
it so made everything funny. go by faster. I mean, you know, you're stuck in the airport. And, you know, he, he just uh, was a, a fun guy to be around. Kurt Henning, a lot like Kurt. They they were good buddies, Kurt and Bobby. Oh, God, yeah. And they, they, and they worked There was that Minnesota connection. I mean, all those guys up, uh, up out of Minnesota. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, having these chances to work with Bobby and that was what was wonderful about, uh, what we did in Stanford. We had the studios there and he would come in, you know, to do wrestling challenge and they'd do prime time. And, uh, there were a few times where I actually got to do some, uh, outside uh, stuff with him. And, and somebody sent me to a link to one of the, uh, bits that we did, uh, for uh, one of the Coliseum videotapes, and uh, it was rampage 91. I have no idea why we ended up on a golf course for this one, but <laughs> we did. It was uh, myself, uh, Bobby, and Gene Okerlund. And the premise was Gene was going to teach Bobby how to play golf. And I was there, I guess, to be the bad golf announcer. And, you know, we're, we're out on this golf course, Jim, and I have my WWF blazer on, you know, with the full logo stuff on and the, right. the big, and I've got, the big block I've got letters. a stick mic. And I'm on a golf course. So everywhere I go, I have this stick mic. And, it, and you're thinking it must be, you know, a thousand yards long <laughs> wire on this thing because I keep showing up. But I just remember that day, how funny that so much didn't get captured on tape because that's what it was like just being around Bobby. Right. And it was never, there would, there, there would be situations that we would set up. They would say, okay. Uh, you're going to, they're going to come driving up in the golf cart. You're going to go and greet them, ask them what they're doing here. And then Bobby's going to, Gene's uh, going to hit his ball. And then Bobby's going to hit his, that was it. And then we went and you look at that stuff and it's so funny the, you know, the whole, you've seen, uh, you've seen comedians how many times where they do, where they, you know, the, the golf club goes flying, but Bobby does it and you are on the ground and it was just his timing and the little things that he did. That were just so amazing. What you know, little. I and mean, you call them like you call them small. I guess small moments where where he'd drive up in the cart and he have the you know the the uh, styrofoam cup in his hand and he would just bat it away. And Gene's like, you can't do that. And he said, the wind caught it. And he would just go back to what he's doing. You know, and <laughs> it was the, the, the things that he did. Yeah, that they. Just he would have been perfect moment. for Legend House. That would have been a good reality show to have Bobby in it. You know. I mean, oh God. And, yeah. and that's the deal, like you said, with the, which. You, what they caught on camera was great. If they just let that camera run the whole time you guys were out there on the golf course, huh. imagine some of the stuff you could have got. I mean, cause you can't, you can't write stuff that Bobby would do. I mean, he no. was just so spontaneous, you know, he would just do it all of a sudden. And, uh, if you try to re redo it, it, it just didn't have the same magic. Yeah. And that was the same, uh, for example, when we did those, uh, you know, the, the stuff live at the raw show, that first raw show out in front of the, Oh, I saw that all over, over Twitter and Facebook. Everybody's pitching twi- pictures of you and uh, and Bobby all dressed up in drag there in front of the Manhattan Center. That's a good yeah. shot of you, Sean. That is a pretty good picture. Uh, no, Somebody but, said yeah, you were but, hitting on him early in the show, but I said no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. But that was another example of that, Jim, where they came up with these ideas. Okay, you're going to be the uh, the old lady with the, with the uh, bad wig and the bag. And then you're going to be the Hasid Jewish guy who's going to go in and he's going to try and get in to see his <laughs> nephew, Rob Bartlett. And that was the, you know, they didn't really, they didn't tell me anything else of what he was going to do. And it just, uh, we'd go. 
And and it, one thing that I really loved the fact that Bobby trusted me enough to do to be in a situation like that where he knew I could play off him, but he was just so funny and the way he would the way he would just come up with stuff like yeah. you know well, that's in, one of the big uh, criticisms of the the product nowadays that it's overproduced you know yes. I don't think, could you imagine him trying to survive in, a, in the world of today? Oh, here's uh, your verbiage, Bobby. This is your interview. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know if he'd make it. I don't, uh, that's hard to deliver lines. I said before, I mean, uh, those guys nowadays that are out there and uh, delivering their verbiage, that's a lot more challenging than I thought it'd be. Uh, I got a new respect for actors and those kind of guys that, that do that and act natural. I'm like, I'll see you in the ring. I mean, you <laughs> that's know. Right. Tough guy. Yeah, it's, I mean, no mannerisms at all. I, yeah. That's a, a unique deal. And Bobby, I think, is the same way. Flair, you know, Hogan, our generation in general, I think, has trouble uh, reading verbiage, as they say. Well, there was it was nobody better. And uh, if anybody thought that, you know, Bobby had crib notes when he did commentary uh, and would throw these lines out, if he did, I never saw oh, them. And no, I saw him. He had him in his commentary. brain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, just... Do you remember when he was ripping Big Boss Man's mother? Remember that whole uh, yeah, oh, sure. setup? And he was just brutal. I mean, I was thinking back, I was looking at some of the stuff. I remember he said, one of the lines was, he says, Jake the Snake wanted to show Big Boss Man's mother uh, the, the the snake, Damien. He goes, the snake went back in the bag. <laughs> and, he just, and, he, and, one of the, and he said, you know, kids, it's Halloween. And you're all, I know you're all frightened of goblins and ghosts. Don't worry. It's just Big Boss Man's mother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so good stuff you know what oh yeah uh, and and uh i remember the the royal rumble in 92 and I'm, i wrote some of these down I, I i won't go through all of them but i was uh, looking back at the uh royal rumble 92 and they're getting down to uh, you know flares in there fighting fighting for his life he ends up winning and uh jake is in there and he's battling Flair, and in comes Piper. And Piper immediately goes after Jake and Bobby, you know, who through this whole, the whole event has been, you know, he's, he's rooting for Flair. He wants him to win. And he's given up on him, like, how many times? And he's back with him. And so anyway, uh, Piper comes in, and he's wailing on Jake, and and, and Bobby's like, that's it, that's it, Piper. I, I, I'm sorry for anything I ever said. That's not, that's not a skirt. That's not a skirt you're wearing. It's a kilt. It's a kilt. <laughs> and then after, you know, Roddy beats up Jake, and then he goes right after Flair, and he goes, you, I can't believe you, you skirt wearing freak. <laughs> just, <laughs> so just the commentary that, was entertaining. That just came. It wasn't like he, I'm going to save this for when he does this. He just came up with it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, just the commentary was that entertaining, you know, forget the match. <laughs> they could go dark and you still have a good time. <laughs> That's true. And thank God they had Heenan for a lot of those matches. To be yeah, well, able to carry them, like that. but when it came down to shot, that was a shot, Moody. I got never it. mentioned anybody who carried a two by four. Never yeah. mentioned that. But you know what I'm talking about. Some of these matches, you're like, oh, oh my god, and 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 you would just like you said, listen to Bobby. He was the whole thing was worth listening to just because he was there. But when it was a match that they really needed to put somebody over and sell something, he was he was there. It, he didn't waste any time. You know. Uh, on something that wasn't going to be focused on what they were selling that night. 
Yeah, no, he was totally business. I mean, he was a pro, as as we've said many times. I mean, that's the big leagues up there. You know, there's no going to be uh, half-hearted guys in the WWF. That's the, the cream of the crop from around the world. It's just not kids from America. Kids from Europe, Australia, Japan, everybody's coming over. And to be on WWF, you better be on top of your game, or WWE nowadays, or you're gone. And, of course, Bobby was on top of his game for a long time. And Yeah. Well, and, and another big part of that too, Jim, was primetime wrestling. And that was just another uh, vehicle to you know, really showcase that relationship between Bobby and Gorilla. But it's funny how that whole show started out and how, you know, uh, you know, Jesse was on there and, and uh, you know, Gorilla was there uh, He would when he came in and replaced him. And they had all these different combinations. Jimmy Hart even was there uh, for a, a brief time. And then when... Uh, Bobby came in and was teamed with Gorilla. It was just, it happened. And that was, uh, you know, in April of, of 90, uh, 86, rather. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, Gorilla insisted on watching those matches completely, uh, <laughs> no matter how bad they were. But it, 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 made for, uh, it made that show what it was. They could play off things. And, of course, you remember you had Bobby doing stuff on the phone and, and, uh, you know, playing the, the fool in every situation. And it, it just really, it worked. And it was a, it was a big ratings. Uh, sure. And so rap. it also shows, you know, uh, what a master McMahon is. I mean, he tried Jimmy Hart. He tried this guy. He tried yeah. that guy. I mean, he, he, he would shuffle the deck, try to see who's going to work with Gorilla. Of course, because Gorilla was Gorilla. I think they were trying to find somebody to work with Gorilla. And uh, Bobby, boom, fit that spot. And then they, they blossomed. But they... They weren't afraid to try other things that didn't work. Yeah. XWF. Well, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. XFL, XFL. No, but it, it, it was really, you're right about that, though. There was so many, uh, you know, Vince was great at that. But then when it happened, he, he let it. He just and said, okay, this is working. Sure. And they just got better and better. And and that uh, the same thing. They didn't script anything for those shows. It was just those two, and you know, going on and on. And I yeah. remember the Halloween they, episode. They th- Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, well, remember the the Halloween episode when they're you know, uh, Bobby's dressed up as the genius, and Gorilla, of course, he's dressed up as what else? Uh, original. Right. He's Gorilla, and they uh, go through the whole show, and uh, they bring in a camera guy at the end who puts on the whole gorilla mask and the gloves, the, the gorilla hands, and he sits down and then Bobby or a uh, gorilla comes in with his bag and says, sorry, I'm late. <laughs> but it was, you know, that was that, just that classic was good, stuff. Yeah. And I was so sorry to see that come to an end. I know there was some, you know, the transitioning there. We did the live shows right. uh, with, you know, with first it was Vince well, you know, and, uh, that, and Bobby. That, that banner between Bobby and gorilla, that, That'd be at the lunch table too. I mean, you know, that wasn't just when they were on camera with each other. I mean, that was kind of the constant banner between those guys. They always kind of rip back and forth like friends do, but yeah. they were just two quick quitted friends. <laughs> yeah. Well, as I said, though, I was, you know, sorry to see that format and uh, yeah, for well, whatever every, reason, everything changes, you know? whatever they tried new things and yeah. gorilla was, uh, you know, not in the greatest health. And uh, they did the live show, and it, that was well, a when, great opportunity when, uh, for me because I go down? was able to host along with Bobby, and 
that was another time where I learned so much from him. If you would just watch the way he interacted and how he performed, you really could learn a lot. And I mentioned, you know, when I first did it, I was really, uh, it was, I was nervous about it. It was, it was a tough format. I'd never been in that, you know, it was, you're in this intimate situation where you've got a very small studio audience. Uh, you've got to nail this stuff. And I, I remember one time he just looked over and he said, just do it. And it was one of those things where it just kind of uh, really stuck with me is that, you know, you just got to let go. And from that point on, I was, I, it, I was fine. That's easy but, to say, but hard to do to let go. I mean, yeah. I'll just let go out there. Like, yeah, right. Let go. You look, you know, out in front of all those people. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, hard. Yeah. But it was with the thing that was the thing with Bobby though. And, and, uh, as an announcer, I know that some of the other people that worked with him, I know Tony Schiavone has mentioned this as well, that when you were with Bobby, of course you had to be on your toes, but there was a comfort factor at knowing no matter what happened. Now, let's say you had these behemoths sit, you know, standing next to you, if they forgot their line or if they knocked something over or if or something happened, you know, he was going to make it look like that was supposed to happen. It was, he was always going to make it work. And that was, uh, you know, a, a great feeling when you were in that situation, especially when you're doing those interviews live. Yeah. I'm sure there had to be times when you're like, you know, in, in those situations where like, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, well, especially especially in the beginning, but you know that's that's the deal. You got to learn to just keep rolling, no matter what happens. If you know anything keeps going, and Bobby would also capitalize on the things that would go wrong, where other people, you know, the the, the whoever else it was in, on camera shot with him would react to the table breaking or whatever. Bobby'd be like, "Bang the boom," or the, the phone ring. That's Vince on the phone, or you right. know, Bobby would take what happens and magnify it and make it part of the show. Yeah, and exactly, and. uh Fortunately for me, uh, there were like many instances where he really helped put me over in the situation. Here, I was just the guy in the event center, but he doing that whole thing uh, whenever they threw to me, you know, they said, let's go to Sean Mooney and say, who? who? And then right. he and uh, would heckle me. Then they actually kept me on primetime just because of that banter that he would have. He would, you know, single me out, you know, and right. you know, it's good to this, this day. I mean, to court. this day, right? Mooney, uh, Mooney. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a good gimmick. Yeah. Well, it's a T-shirt now. Yeah. Which very few people know about Jim, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know the family's got them. <laughs> That's yeah. The, we can count on a few shirts there. Exactly. Yeah, I got, I got three gone to my sister, so I'm cool. Oh, perfect. We're we're up. But uh, you know, <laughs> he was, he was just. You, you know how that works when somebody's you know puts you over. I mean, if if they don't sure. uh, sell you, you're, you're dead. Well, I think he, that's why they they wouldn't work with Jesse. Jesse wouldn't, you know. He would challenge Bobby, and, and uh, you know you need that one guy to put the other guy over. Yeah, and of course I will never forget that uh, the you know he had a hidden camera at my honeymoon. Uh, that was a big <laughs> one. <laughs> but you know he built that up. That was that was you know another thing that he really you know, he built that up was I was actually engaged and uh, at the time, and he kept going with it, and finally said, "Let's just do something." So we went to this. You know, cheap hotel, and uh, we had one of the camera guys had like a big hairy leg, and you see it like hanging out, and I'm like, "Sweetie, you know." <laughs> well, you know, like, back, 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 probably 25 years ago. You know, I've been with my wife for a while, and we wanted to have kids, and you know, being on the road a lot. You know, my my wife wasn't getting pregnant. You know, and Bobby finally came up to me, he goes, Hacksaw, he says, you're trying to get your wife pregnant. I said, yeah, Bobby. I said, we've been trying just, you know, the time on the road, we're just not working out. 
He says, well, you got, I got the perfect way to get your wife pregnant. He says, take her out, take her to this uh, fancy restaurant in town, buy her this certain bottle of champagne, bring her home, give me a call. I live a half hour away. I'll be right over. That's classic. The only one thing that didn't work uh, that they that I think they put uh, Bobby in the situation was the Bobby Heenan show where it was, it was only four episodes and it became, you know, the prime time was two hours. They brought Roddy back in and they wanted to give him his own stage. And the thing about that was, is that Bobby had spent his career playing off people uh, and, and put into that situation. And I think there's probably people out there that might disagree with me. And they, they, they actually, the ratings, because USA network, was not told they were doing this because they figured it's within our two hours. We can do whatever programming we want within the show. But the way they made it look like is that is, you know, like primetime ended and then the Bobby Heenan show came on USA network didn't like it and they didn't like the show, but, uh, it was a half hour show. It did decently, uh, in the ratings actually beat primetime a couple of times, uh, from it, you know, going up from its lead in, which was, uh, you know, kind of amazing. Yeah. But, well, Bobby uh, was entertaining. Yeah, but it was. A, I, it was I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever seen the show. Tell you the truth, though, I, that, this is news to me, Sean. I, I think they may have a few of them on the the network. The network. I'll have to look for them, man. Yeah, check it out. That, that'd be but, fun. Uh, to, like I said earlier, I think that'd be a guy to have in a reality show in a Legend House type atmosphere. You know, yeah. have him in there with Okerlund. That'd be a good matchup. Roommates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better than Tony Atlas, that's for sure. Yeah. That's not going to happen again, huh? No. no. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, Bobby, uh, no matter what, where you put him, he was always, always entertaining. And uh, as, you know, we all know what was happening in the, in the 90s, the early 90s, around 1993. Um, and with the, the, the trial that was coming, you know, coming up with the whole, the steroid situation, they were cutting back on a lot of things. They asked people to take, you know, less, uh, less in their salaries. And Bobby wasn't happy with the contract. I think that he was tired of traveling all the time. And, uh, he wanted to be home more with his daughter, Jess and, and his wife. And, um, and that WCW, as you know, very well was not just the money, but also the schedule uh, for going down there. And, and so there, there was probably a lot of incentive for him making that decision. Sure. That's, that's why most everybody, because that's a big uh, part is, is being away from your family and WWF, you worked all the time. That was a lot of work. I mean, like I said, it wasn't just for a, a guarantee contract, which obviously was a big part, but also the workload was, was much different. And, you know, also Sean, I like to throw out to Bobby's wife. I mean, what a great woman she has been yeah. through all this ordeal. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's just incredible. And, and you know, I, you know, uh, Jim, throughout the years and all the different uh, people that you've worked with in wrestling, uh, people forget that, you know, everybody had families, a, a vast majority of them had families. And they did this, and we've talked about this before, but they did this to make a living, not just because they loved the, the attention and they loved the business, but they had to make a living for their families. And I know... Uh, for a fact that when, you know, Bobby, it was really important to him when he would do his scheduling 
and this is when his daughter was growing up, that he made it very clear that he was going to be home on these dates and, and he was there for her uh, as much as he could humanly possibly be. Right, uh, right. And that was a really huge part of his, you know, I, so I don't think, and I, I saw the, uh, the documentary they did on him and his daughter said that he was, you know, he was there for her and he was the greatest dad ever. And I, I know how important uh, she was to him and he was, you know, every chance he got, he went home and uh, you know, that's, yeah, that's, fam- that's great. A lot of guys that uh, feel that's a lot. Yeah, that's it's, it's big. Uh, that's why I, you know that go segue into having Deborah get pregnant. We put off having kids till I was yeah. forty years old, you know. So I was able to spend more time. I wasn't on the road constantly, you know. I was able to spend some time with him growing up, and I know Bobby was uh, close close to his family, so that was very important to him. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So in nineteen ninety three, uh, in December of that year, uh, they, you know, Bobby had. Uh, decided to leave and this was going to be his on-air departure on Monday Night Raw. And uh, Jim, I remember seeing it back then and I watched it again. I don't know if you've ever seen it, the, the scene where Gorilla goes to ringside, Bobby is doing uh, at ringside with, with Vince and uh, Gorilla comes out and informs Bobby he's done and proceeds to throw him out of the arena. And I tell you, I watched that and I remember watching it then. And it was, I think, one of the uh, saddest moments I can recall for myself personally in all my experience with the WWF. Of course, you had a special relationship with both Bobby and Gorilla Buddy. I bet it did affect you quite a bit. Yeah. But it was, and I know what it was. It was this, you know, the work of seeing you later and you're throwing him out. But he, you know, he throws him out with his bag and, and Bobby's grabbing his stuff and he turns and he kind of salutes the, uh, the building there. And it was, it, it was really, fans. A, a I think moment. he's saluting it, the fans. Yeah. And the thing about that, Jim, it, it was never the same again. No. Well, every, everything changes. And, yeah. Uh, obviously that, that was big for, for Bobby to move professionally and personally it was a good decision for him. But and right. also, I think him and Vince were, were friends. I think they were kind of buddies. Yeah. At least the interaction I saw between them was definitely different than the interaction between me and Vince, that's for sure. But, uh, yeah, uh, they, they seemed to get along pretty good. Well, at that I'm point, everybody was leaving, see too. Bobby I mean, Gene and, yeah. and all these other superstars had uh, defected, had gone down south. Uh, at the time, the WWF could not match the the money that they were pay, paying these guys and as how could you also tell them no you know you won't have to go on the road <laughs> you show up here uh you know a few shows or whatever it was a week uh it was hard they couldn't match it and so you know you know but how could shows, he stop them again what a master vince is everybody jumped ship we all went down to wcw we bumped Hunter Hearst Helmsley, stunning Steve Austin, and Sable. Yeah. They went up there. Vince repackaged them. Boom, put Turner out of business. Amazing. It made them superstars. Exactly. And I don't think that whole time that uh, you know Bobby was there, those uh, those years that he spent from 93 into you know, 2001 uh, were great years. I don't really even want to get into them. I, I, one thing I really loved seeing was the tribute that he paid to uh, gorilla monsoon. 
when after he passed and uh but you know they as his time went on there and of course that place started to go downhill uh it wasn't a great place to be and it, and it's sad that that's really where um it really ended uh for bobby and all and, and that we never got to see you know what else he might have done in the wwf is after that he did you know very little he did the uh, gimmick match with gene at wrestlemania Right. And uh, of course, was inducted uh, into the Hall of Fame, which was was awesome. But uh, I I look back and I, I I wonder if you do as well about what else Bobby Heenan might have done had he been there during those years. Yeah, I mean, look through the roster and say what would have happened if all these guys were still around. I mean, and Bobby, of course, is is one of them. I mean, it's so many of the boys are gone and. Uh, and Bobby, he had such a big impact on it. Then, you know, he would have a big impact on it still today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as we wrap this up, uh, Jim, and I want to read a bunch of Twitters. I promised that I would read some of these and, uh, read them, the ones I got, uh, and also some emails. Cool. But, uh, I want to remind everybody once again, Raymond Lewis Heenan. Born November 1st, 1944 in Chicago. And uh, I love this quote. I, I, I remember, I think you remember me reciting this when uh, we did the, the uh, Bobby and Gorilla special. But I think this kind of sums up who he was. As he uh, recounted in his book, um, Bobby the Brain, Wrestling's Bad Boy Tells All. He recalls one of the first nights of his career as a manager when he went on a short road trip for an event working for Dick the Bruiser. Uh, Bobby said of the evening, I've been to Louisville, Kentucky, managing some people I don't really manage. I was almost hung. I was burned by a cigar. I was almost <laughs> beat to death by Johnny Valentine and a man with a nightstick. I saw this horrendous accident where a man was alive and on fire for $5. And all I could think of was one thing. This is for me. When can I do this again? <laughs> Don't blame them, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, let me get through these, Jim, because I wanted to, uh, these tributes from people that uh, that follow us and uh, we're big fans of Bobby Heenan. This is an email from Jeff Adair uh, at Jeff Pro Wrestling. Uh, growing up being a fan of the bad guys because my brother was a fan of the good guys, I always loved what Bobby had to say about Hulk Hogan. It seemed like it was his lifelong ambition to take down the Hulkster, and I was a fan of it too. The combo of Bobby and Gorilla Monsoon on primetime not be topped ever in the wrestling business. Would love to hear a story from both of you guys about Bobby off camera. I think we've told a few. Uh, also, this one from Russell Ridenauer. Bobby Heenan is the first manager commentator I remember when I first started watching wrestling. Well, at the time, I was too young to understand what I was seeing him do. As I got older, he was an influence on me, wanting to do commentary and manage. Bobby Heenan was one of the best ever. The world was blessed to have him. With us, as long as we did, there will never be another Bobby Heenan. My prayers go out to his family, friends, colleagues, and fellow fans. Uh, here's some Twitters. Uh, James, my favorite moment of Bobby the Brain Heenan was, of course, him trying to sneak into the first ever Monday Night Raw. <laughs> and James, uh, that's uh, right up there with my favorites. Uh, from It's Buck, loved every time as a kid, they would cut to Sean, at Sean Mooney, uh, cut to Sean Mooney, and the Brain would say, who? 
Uh, Mike Geelan, Bobby's Royal Rumble 92 commentary was amazing. Yeah, that's as I mentioned. Uh, also, Piper, Heenan, and Monsoon on primetime was incredible. Heenan is my WWF GOAT. And we all know what that means. Greatest of all time. Chris Gallant, speaking as an 80s WWF fan, there are a lot of managers, but only one, Bobby Heenan. I remember fondly his insults about Boss Man's mother. <laughs> Dennis Moore, selling Hercules. Big boss man, mom jokes, and my absolute favorite, Heenan as Santa Claus. Jason Bayless, you've already covered it, but the 92 Rumble match, in particular Heenan's commentary and banter with Gorilla about flair is priceless. Ian Briggs loved watching primetime wrestling. I remember he got the cameras to invade your privacy. Yep. <laughs> A honeymoon. People like that episode, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Here's from one of your friends, Ted DiBiase. Oh, cool. Hi, Teddy. Bobby Heenan, and he, he didn't send this directly to me. I, <laughs> I lifted it from Twitter, folks, okay? Whoa. He only does that to Hacksaw. Uh, Ted DiBiase uh, put up on Twitter, Bobby Heenan died today, and it has left me very sad. He was the best of the best in the biz and a friend. RIP, Bobby. Praying for you, Cindy. Uh, Bubba Ray Dudley, today we lost one of our legends. I'm just happy the last words I said to him were, I love you, Bobby. Christopher Daniels, rest in peace, Bobby Heenan. Such an important thread in the fabric that is the professional wrestling of my youth. Uh, Arda Orkel, who was uh, Kyle Rich Edwards, rather, with the WWE. I met Bobby Heenan only once, well after his career. Said it was an honor. Looked at me, smiled, gave me the finger. Bless you, Crane. <laughs> rest in peace. That's Bobby, oh, that was great. Yeah. And... Oh. Uh, you know, uh, people love to hate him, Jim, and, and uh, they loved him for it. And you know he loved every minute of it. I'm sure he thrived on it. And from people all over the world, I mean, as we talked about many times, the appeal of wrestling around the world, Bobby's touched a lot of folks in all the corners of the earth. Yeah, and I want to uh, wrap this up uh, with Tommy Dreamer's uh, Twitter. I love Good this. Man, I Tommy. saw it, and I, uh, I really think this is a great way to end it because – you know, Bobby Heenan, uh, you know, certainly uh, he's been he's been missed and he's going to be forever missed. And, and Tommy Dreamer kind of wraps it up. He says, don't mourn death. Celebrate life. Thanks for entertaining and making my childhood great. Bobby the Brain Heenan. Good night. That's very good. And my thing, Sean, before we, we sign out, of course, Bobby's a friend of mine. And like I tweeted out, just very simple. God bless Bobby. We're going to miss you, my friend. And, and for the podcast, Bobby, this hoe is for you, tough guy. Ho! Oh!